Hey everyone, welcome to Heart for Clive, a podcast for everything Web3. I am Kastra, your host. Today I had the pleasure of talking to Lacey and Aiden, founders at TechAid. TechAid is a data-driven platform that helps with humanitarian cases in the world, the places that need help in crisis, in all the unfortunate situations that we see in the world with the wars and with a lot of issues uh, that we are facing today. And TechAid is aiming to use blockchain and data to get the help that those places and those people on the ground need in the most transparent and productive way and also try to reduce waste when it comes to getting and distributing help to those places. So this particular episode has been very special for me because not only we got to dive deeper into what makes, let's say, a good entrepreneur to find a problem, try to create a hypothesis and solve that problem, but also got to dive deeper and understand what are the motivations and how you should navigate these muddy waters of getting an idea and then solving that problem. So yeah, this episode is going to have a lot of interesting insights for any Web3 founder, any Web3 builder, any entrepreneur. So definitely make sure to tune in. But before we continue, few words from our sponsors. Flare.dev is the Web3 platform that allows you to build, sell, and scale in Web3. It flares NFT tiered sales, credit card, and cross-chain payment. You can increase your NFT sales by at least 50% because you can allow your users to pay for your NFT via credit card or any crypto they have in their wallet and also connect their wallet or if they don't have one already, Flare is going to create a custodial wallet on behalf of them. Also with Flare's scalable smart contracts, Relayer and indexing API, you can read, write, and build on blockchain in a scalable way. So whether you're a dApp, a game, or a Web2 company that wants to build on blockchain, Flare has you covered for the long run. So definitely check flare.dev. That is F. L-A-I-R dot dev. Lacey, Aiden, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi there. Lacey here doing super well. Uh, really appreciate you having us on. Hey, uh, Aiden, super excited. Um, super excited to talk about some fun stuff with you today. It's great to have both of you with us. And yeah, I'm also super excited about going deeper into the the context of i would call it real applications on blockchain and that's what you two are building i think as fun as you know monkey pictures and nfts are <laughs> that keeps us excited i think the real applications of blockchain are uh, are the thing the type of things that you two are doing at tech aid um so maybe just to kickstart things um Lacey, how do you see the the world of you know aid aid industry and how do you think that tech aid can 
resolve the shortcomings in that world using blockchain? Yeah, great question, Kasra. I think first and foremost, um, you know, my background is, is primarily banking and tech. So very data centric, data heavy, all decisions sort of made uh, based on data and, and in the aid sector, um, there's definitely a, a gap in terms of uh, sort of data aggregation and data sharing among providers. So to give a quick example, um, another entrepreneur I recently met who's uh, working on human rights. Um, so sort of, you know, a similar analogous space, but but the deep dive into, you know, what happened after the chemical crisis in Syria in 2013. And she learned that of the, I believe it was 13 NGOs that were working kind of directly on the ground. 11 of them were working on redundant problems. Two of them were working on different problems. And there were like six problems altogether that weren't being addressed. And this was because of a lack of, of, of data that was kind of shared across, you know, folks and actors that are really, they're trying to do the right thing, but there's no sort of reliable data set to say, okay, who needs what, where are they? And by the way, another huge problem that I, continue to learn more and more really the gravity of this is just straight up theft and bad actors uh, sort of impersonating beneficiaries and basically claiming to be folks that actually need help that, that don't need help um, and sort of a lack of transparency when it comes to how aid is actually distributed. So right now there is no kind of clear record of, you know, if, if an NGO comes in and wants to distribute aid, you know, who does it go to? How many of those sort of delivery attempts were successful to use, you know, Amazon, Parlance that spent the last five years there before, um, you know, leaving to start this. And so from a supply chain perspective that we just, and, and data all around, there's some, some big gaps that the tech aid aims to solve by really just starting with a demand signal and, and by leveraging blockchain infrastructure, you've got an immutable record of, you know, who said they needed what, where, <laughs> and an ability to actually close the transaction loop and prove, um, you know, with immutable transparency, you know, how many deployments were successfully received, how many weren't. And that enables sort of the industry at large to do, you know, benchmarking, to understand where there are gaps, to understand like, gosh, in this region, we, you know, deployed 600 boxes, but only 20 made it to the right folks. Like what happened? And it, it just gives you an ability, it gives the industry at large an ability to, to benchmark, to improve, um, and also to do more with less. And that's, you know, there's so many use cases of blockchain that really enable insane efficiency and, and eliminate redundant manual processes that are being done, you know, individually by actors sort of over and over and over where it's like, ah, you can solve the same problem once and have everyone benefit from the distributed record of that data. So, so we're really, I mean, it's a, it's definitely an uphill battle because folks are, I think a common kind of piece of feedback Aiden and I have gotten a lot is, huh, like this sounds really simple. Like why doesn't, doesn't something like this already exist? And we're like, no, I don't know why it doesn't. Um, so that's a, you know a little bit about the background in the aid industry, uh, sort of at large, and where we're we're aiming to go. Um, I don't know if you would add anything to that, or um... yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I studied law, society, and justice at University of Washington. So I, I spent a lot of time researching the humanitarian aid industry in the the U.S. and and other nations as well. And um, while the work that incredibly passionate people are doing around the world is amazing, the expectations for supply chain management and inventory management um, just don't match up with enterprise level uh, supply chain companies today. So the expectation now for businesses is that you use supply chain management tools, you use technology to, to manage inventory and mitigate risk. And you've got a bunch of people doing a bunch of amazing work and um, 
we don't want it to go to waste. So we want to bring uh, a data-driven approach to, to sectors that haven't gotten as much love uh, as they should have. <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense. And I really like this kind of laser focus on this is where, this is what the current state of the, you know, the eight industry is. And as much of a kind of a good effort or good intentions those people have, just maybe because of lack of coordination or I think, for example, you said like multiple parties are doing redundant work. So that's not efficient. And mm -hmm. you add on top of that, you know, lack of transparency and all of those things, then it just makes it much harder to, let's say, reach the right audience, try to help them and, you know, move on with those things. But if those th those things don't happen, then it just, just the system gets clogged. Um, so I, I can totally understand those things, but maybe... Um, because you're really involved, let's say, in, in this problem right now, you have been kind of thinking about it very hard. And how much of a, how, what, what part of the problem, let's say, is the, the technology aspect? And what part of the problem is, you know, some of the things that um, are maybe out of the reach, for example, you, you can say that, okay, blockchain can help with this problem. But because, I don't know, the legal process or the administrative project, all those things, because they're not ready, then no matter how much of blockchain is going to be pushing hard, it cannot solve the problem directly. So maybe my yeah. point is how, what percentage of the problem can the technology aspect and in particular blockchain can solve by itself? Sure, that's a great question. And I think we're just kind of getting started with um, setting up A-B tests and running beta tests with partners, but it, it all comes down to, I think exactly what she said, Kind of an appetite and a readiness and an interest in using tech solutions and and so what we've you know kind of been fortunate to find or maybe not fortunate maybe it's obvious or <laughs> maybe i wasn't expecting to, to have kind of inbound um interest but our our folks that have started ngos and sort of been the boots on the ground and done all the hard work and are doing a lot of processes and things manually and saying oh my gosh we're a tiny team of six people hey we're an ngo we have some grant funding but we are all maxed out and we are burned out. We're working around the clock trying to trying to do this in sort of a manual way. Is there any automated tooling or tech that can help? <laughs> please, please, please. And by the way, it would be really awesome if there was some blockchain component and, and we haven't even sort of scratched the surface on this yet, um, but is there a blockchain component that could help us securely and transparency, transparent, transparently distribute currency, like virtual currency to folks that they can actually go and then spend and use and transact and you can you can track it, you can see it. <laughs> um, and so the, the blockchain aspect specifically, really just with the redundant record keeping um, and sort of the, the redundant checks that need to be done in silos um, are really kind of what what blockchain helps solve. And, and our hypothesis is if we've, you know, once we've got a couple of proof points under our belts, and again, it's with, it's not it's not with the UN it's not with the International Red Cross it's with these these smaller and I don't mean to sound pejorative like the the non bureaucratic like the small scrappy teams that are like hey we're doing our best if you give us a tool today we'll use it <laughs> and we'll you know and, and so we're we're kind of setting up benchmarking to understand how much time and how much effort is saved um, by virtue of of automated tooling but but like those are those proof points I think are going to be what kind of what what sells the solution on the whole as hey. Hmm. For this small amount of, you know, incremental investment in infrastructure tooling, 
we can deliver, and I'm these are completely made up numbers, but say, you know, 5x the 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 output with the same number of people. Oh, and by the way, reduce your your waste by X percent. You know, we're hoping for double digit reductions in waste um, by virtue of, of of underpinning a solution with um with with blockchain because you can like and I think we haven't really covered the concept yet, but just in a single sentence, TechAid, all it is really is a mobile-based survey for someone to say on their smartphone, here, you know, here's how many I am, what in their group, here's what I need. And, you know, it's six or seven questions depending on the size of the group, but, you know, things like, do you have a child that's under two years old? Which would trigger like, ah, okay, this is someone that needs infant formula likely. Uh, do you have access to transportation? Meaning, <laughs> can this person actually come pick up a delivery or do they need it to come to them? And so tracking these intersections um, in a smart way that would provide a single source of truth via blockchain, again, that, I mean, it, the time savings and the efficiency improvements we expect will be off the charts. And so it's not, it's one of those things where you don't want to put the cart before the horse, um, but, but I think our, you know, working with the right partners initially to sort of prove out the use case is super key. And, and having those proof points is, is I, I believe, what's going to get the attention of the bigger players and say, oh, hmm, if we implemented something like this and we already have hundreds of thousands of people deployed and we're raising hundreds of millions of dollars and we could see that our waste would go from, you know, be reduced from, you know, 30% to 10%. I mean, th those, are, those are big numbers. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do to, to prove that out. Um, but I just, I think it just really goes back to solving, solving problems one time instead of solving them redundantly in silos. I mean, just that alone and, and having a record and an actual reliable demand signal uh, is something that doesn't, doesn't really exist today um, that, that's accessible scalably. So I'll, I'll stop there. Does that kind of answer your question? <laughs> it does perfectly. And I think what I really love about it is it kind of directly relates to the people on the field. You know, you mentioned all these NGOs that are trying to do these things, you know, and they have, they have issues, they have problems, and this solution is gonna solve those problems today. Not again, like 10 years from now, not five years from now today, it's gonna solve yeah. it. And for example, you don't need to start this by convincing some bureaucratic company to uh, adopt this. No, it can actually help you today. And also one other aspect I really like about this is that uh, you, you try to take on the kind of the simplicity of use on your side. And you say that, okay, it has to be, for example, only with a mobile phone to be able to signal for a help. And if it's, you know, even more complicated than that, then it's kind of on us to try to solve that problem. So it can be adopted as fast as possible and give you all these benefits. So I think actually that's a, that's a golden hint for any, any startup or any company that wants to, <laughs> to do something. Um, well, that's that's all Aiden. We actually we recently did a kind of a team building session with our third co-founder and determined sort of our our team values. And Aiden, I think we had left out simplicity. And Aiden brought a background and was like, "Wait a minute, guys! <laughs> if this isn't super simple, it's sort of best in class UX. People, are, it's not going to be usable. We're going to miss the point." It was like, "Oh my gosh, you're right." <laughs> right? And I don't know if you want to say more about that, but that that was all oh, her. Thank you, Lacey. No, it's um. I've worked in the blockchain space for two years and I, I came from someone who had a background in, in everything other than emerging tech, right? Um, and so I found a lot of frustration in the fact that the, the actual technology itself wasn't 
horrifyingly complicated. It was something I was able to learn over months of studying, but but that it was something that was always communicated to me in jargon or incredibly complex terms that always felt like they kind of kept everyone else out. And so as Lacey and I kind of had the, the idea and created and, and started building Techie, we realized that we had an opportunity to reset expectations for how people communicate emerging tech. Um, we truly don't believe that you should have to understand how an on-chain backend works to 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 gain benefit from from using it, right? And that's that's personally Amen. what I think. The first, yeah, I think that's the the first step to to mass adoption, right? Is when people don't have to think that hard to use it. Totally. Yeah, and I guess one quick point I would add to that, or a great example that um, was raised, actually, the panel I was on in, at Web Summit last November. Um, the moderator actually raised, we were talking about how, you know, blockchain can be used to increase or uh, create a more inclusive society. And, and the, the moderator <laughs> used actually the example of Uber. He's like, do you think anyone cares when they open the Uber app and push the button, how the thing works? Or do they care that the car shows up when they mm -hmm. actually schedule for it to pick them up? It's option B. And, and it's just, it's so true. It's like, I don't, we don't need to talk about, I mean, obviously on a podcast like this, we're super excited about, you know, the tech and the details, but for the everyday user, they just want a solution that's easy to use and that works. <laughs> so mm -hmm. to Aiden's point, there's so much jargon and, and a lot of just very non-inclusive language and, 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 and some UI and UX hurdles that need to be overcome still. But uh, yeah, but in general, we, we keep simplicity top of mind and, and sort of we want to solve for the lowest common denominator. Again, not in a pejorative sense, but in a just, hey, you shouldn't even necessarily need to know how to, like if we can do this all in icons, that's a win. Or <laughs> if you don't even have to read, then you avoid translation issues and things like that. So that's kind of the, the types of things that we're keeping top of mind as we as we proceed. Yeah, kind of to expand on that, I think, um, because you, I always had this idea that, you know, things should be simple for a, let's say, end user, like my mom, my grandma, they things should be really mm -hmm. simple. And I'm like, even going deeper and deeper into this and understand that, for example, I come from a you know, software engineering background. Even for me, like certain softwares or cert even certain programming languages, I don't need to know all the details of something. Mm -hmm. you, know? you need to have these abstractions or let's say, you know, because the world is really complicated. You don't have time to understand all these concepts to be able to do something. So I'm yeah, going to say a software engineer needs to have these abstractions. So just, just imagine that if you throw all these jargons at someone who doesn't care about blockchain, let's say they're not getting any benefit from it daily because there's this crypto maxis, they get, you know, pump and dumps and all of that. But someone who doesn't care about this, they don't care about, you know, I don't know, staking, airdrop, tokens, whatever. They just mm -hmm. want to have a problem get solved. And I think if you just go to that point and try to make it as simple as possible, as much as the technology can enable it. For example, right now, just the... the the level of the technology is is at here and there's a lot of smart people that are working on it so for example i don't want to say you know it's easy to make wallet experience for example really really <laughs> because it's not easy today but you can Correct. do your best to get there hopefully yeah yeah i think kind of the a maxim that was sort of bandied about at amazon is the, the best technologies are, are ones that you don't really even realize are running because it, it just it solves your problem for you and and so um, you know, supporting Amazon Fresh for a couple of years and really 
you know, studying the customer, um, the customer journey and what customers said they wanted and what they liked and what they didn't like and informing the product roadmap with that was an incredibly valuable learning experience because guess what? People want to click one button to, to purchase their groceries. And people want to tell you with a thumbs up or a thumbs down if they got if they basically were happy with their order. Like no one wants to, you know, not only do people not want to have to use or understand a lot of jargon, which, you know, for folks that are maybe like yourself, Costa, like, okay, software development engineer, like maybe there's obviously some interest level there, but someone that isn't an SDE is not probably going to A, be interested or B, necessarily have the ability to understand some of this stuff and they shouldn't have to. So that's kind of the, the first point. But then the second point is, is that you just you you want it to be really easy for folks to achieve the outcomes that they desire and and especially and what what's really cool about what with web3 generally to i guess maybe expand the topic is to to see how quickly the rate of innovation can accelerate when you share data and you share knowledge and you say hey we created something and a piece of it's open source and if you're in this industry like by all means you know take this and apply it to your use case or improve it or whatever you know just getting out of silos and enabling collaboration and innovation in a borderless sense. I mean, that I think that we're just starting to scratch the surface of a lot of cool use cases in Web3 or, or I guess kind of blockchain enabled solutions um, where that's becoming apparent. And man, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff happening. I think the next two, three, five years. And I think just to kind of comment about the general economic environment right now, I think the bear market's the best thing that's happened to the Web3 space. And I think mm -hmm. kind of, I don't mean to sound critical, of, you know, great. If you want to invest in crypto and do these things, that's that's totally fine. But um, seeing the power of blockchain separate from just enabling cryptocurrency and DeFi and these sorts of things, um, like that's really where the value is. And, and there's starting to be a broader recognition and a broader interest in that. So I guess to raise a quick example, um, Aiden and I actually met completely randomly in Davos last year. And, and I would say that the general tone kind of walking around the promenade and seeing who was there and whatnot was um, very frothy. <laughs> there were a lot of crypto bros. There were a lot of folks that were there, um, you know, where it was kind of, you'd go in these rooms and have these conversations and it was kind of like, huh, not, I don't follow the business model here. Or I, I just didn't, I wasn't quite sure like what the intent was. And then kind of fast forward to Davos this year. Um, I think I, I heard in four separate houses conversations about how blockchain can facilitate aid, like the example I raised of d directly like cash to wallet <laughs> in a way that's traceable and identifiable where you can actually see the velocity of money moving around. Um, and, and blockchain is, is sort of um, an enabler of really good incentive design. And like that is, to me, like that's so exciting. So an example of another, I think another concept that I'm really excited about is a company that I just, um, started advising called E3 and it's, you know, educate, earn experience is their whole shtick. And actually I had an accounting professor back in the day at UCLA. I think every single lecture he kind of drilled into us, you should be learning for earning, <laughs> learning for earning, learning for earning. If you're learning something and you don't know how it's going to eventually help you economically, then like, what the heck are you doing? Have a plan, know what the plan is. And that's what this is. It literally enables you to earn for the learning that you do and then exchange those tokens for other educational experiences and creates a really cool ecosystem where the users of the ecosystem are incented to engage with it more. And you're also starting to see these same applications in the, in the health data space. Uh, it's, so I, I think, you know, to just kind of sum up the, the really cool use cases that are coming, or I guess not even coming out now, they've been around, but they're finally getting the attention they deserve. Um, 
I think as a result of the headlines moving away from, oh, is the price of Bitcoin or the price of Ethereum going to overtake the price of Bitcoin? Who cares? <laughs> you know, like let's talk about real world use cases and and really awesome things that folks are doing to just enable better solutions um, for society at large in a lot of places where there was a lack of coordination, there was a lack of data, and uh, you know, and kind of see where that goes. Yeah, totally. Like that that period, I think, was also really boring for me as well. The the bull run that like things. I think it was like summer that like things were so crazy that even me and my co-founder were feeling the urge of doing some wrong things. <laughs> right. You know, you, everybody around you are doing these things, and you kind of question the the core thing. But for example, right now we're talking to really high quality projects. Things are much more carnal and. You kind of like those people are not around anymore. So yeah, it's it's very interesting to have like a more sane conversation with people. And I also think there is, I mean, this there is this concept that I really want to adopt in my life, even if at some point I will become a billionaire. And it's kind of the mindset of you know scarcity because if you you have too much resource, then I think mentally it's going to be really hard to allocate it properly unless you have. 100%. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. No, we've we've seen that the 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 Web3 space was incredibly oversaturated with capital the last two years, right? A bunch of investors hopped in and people got excited and that that FOMO that you're talking about, right? The fear of missing out of of these insane gains and these once in a lifetime investment opportunities. Um I think kind of uh weaponized groupthink against a lot of intelligent people and i think we saw it hurt a lot of people right the the lack of regulation um in the financial space uh the the lack of you know transparency funny enough um and i think now that it's an active choice to have to kind of invest in this space um now it's it's bringing out more creative solutions. And I also think generally less sexy solutions using blockchain, right? And that's <laughs> personally what I'm more excited about. Uh, blockchain is a really boring technology. It's just an immutable record, right? Um, and so when you apply it to, to real world problems, you can start to see it where, where it helps and where it doesn't instead of just blanketly applying blockchain technologies to all problems, right? We're focused more on, okay, this tech is useful, it's expensive to implement, where is it going to help the most? Um, and that's what I'm excited to see. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I felt like there was like a, a, a noisy casino in the, again, like in the bull, peak of the bull run that it was so loud that I couldn't even hear the smart people that were talking there. But <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Even the, you probably didn't, I think you're out, you're out of Stockholm, right? Kostra? Close enough. Oslo. Oh, you're Oslo. Okay. So you probably don't watch the Super Bowl, but in the United States, the commercials last year were ridiculous. I mean, Tom Brady and Matt Damon just generally referring to crypto and saying, are you in? <laughs> and this year I'm like, oh, weird. There's no like calls to action to just jump into the crypto space in the commercial set. And by the way, I think the, I don't even remember what the cost per minute or I think for 30 seconds, it's in the millions of dollars. But um, yeah, the kind of the cash grab days, are, it seems like they're definitely over and, and for good reason. And, and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I think crypto will find its place. But again, hearing from other folks independently discussing, hey, where could cryptocurrency be super useful? Hmm. 
in assisting kind of literally the bottom billion or folks that you know with, with smartphone penetration going up and and really you know also with the um, prevalence of 5G and that spreading and the prevalence of of these kind of single um, self-contained solar panels so that folks not only can they have the internet they can charge kind of what they need including you know boiling water and things for their household but that you know once the the globe once everyone has a smartphone I mean what that unlocks is just crazy it's like it's amazing I mean the the power of, of a smartphone is greater than the all of the co computational ability it took to get to the Apollo uh, mission to the moon. You know, you think about that, and it's like I'm carrying this thing around in my pocket, and pretty soon everyone's gonna have one, and like we're we're already like getting close to that. So, you know, just thinking about access and who we're building technology for, and and who it's kind of been built for historically, like it it, it does feel like, and we're very very much like there's a long way to go, but it seems like we are at a really cool tipping point where folks are realizing like, well, wait a minute. There are a lot of problems out there that are really worth solving that have just been sort of ignored because <laughs> they weren't interesting to Silicon Valley or they or it was sort of like, well, I'm sure everything's fine over there. So let's work on consumer applications. And, you know, I, I, I one of one of Aiden and I, I's advisors actually raised a, a kind of hilarious example of uh, quote unquote market innovation. And it's like, you know, if you create a, a tool that you can use to squeeze a lime to get the juice out so that you don't get juice on your hand. Have you really created, have you really solved a problem we're solving? Is that actually innovation? Like, probably not. <laughs> That's a lot of like the quote unquote innovation that I think we've seen in the last 10 years. And with the prevalence of, I mean, obviously inflation, COVID being a, just a huge accelerator of like, okay, wow, we need better scalable solutions so that we can actually know where people are and who they are without having to see them in person. Um, and then obviously the conflict in Ukraine and just climate change accelerating just a, just a lot of challenges. I think there's there's a broader recognition of like, oh crap, there are multiple existential crises. Sort of like we're staring them right down the barrel, and uh, maybe it's time to you know have a rethink and and even have a rethink of like what constitutes a venture capital worthy investment. And 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 I think it, what's super encouraging to me is is seeing you know how many foundations have been created sort of or carved out within a larger fund that say hey if your solution uh basically does something awesome some societal good you know whatever it is improves you know x for y group then you don't need to build a unicorn two percent returns are okay or five percent or whatever just basically outside of the, the sort of stated norm and like the stated expectation for hey if you're if you're raising uh venture capital money then you need to you know basically be able to hit this triple triple double 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 uh, sort of growth curve, and and I that just seeing that that's being revisited in an actual like scalable structured way gives me so much hope that like other people are going to be like oh okay if someone could build something like TechAid which by the way was an idea from three people that literally met randomly last May <laughs> like an idea born out of an organic conversation where we sort of looked at each other and said well, wait a minute we like put our skill sets together like I'm pretty sure we could build this <laughs> you know and and help solve this problem. Um, you know, I just, I just think about the next wave of innovation that we're going to see. I think, I just, I think it's super exciting and, you know, I, it gives me sort of faith that even when you kind of look at the news and say, wow, <laughs> there's a lot of really, uh, concerning, depressing, uh, like news flashes out there and, and sound bites, but there's a lot of people that are, that are, are working on these things and, and have the ability to, to leverage really, really incredible technology to action them in a scalable way. So um 
just I think a lot there to unpack, but I think we're we're finding ourselves at an interesting intersection of you know economic downturn combined with sort of global issues that are that are waking people up to the realization of like, huh, maybe scaling for the sake of scaling isn't the right answer or growth for the sake of growth. Like what is the right answer and, and, and finding that happy medium. I, I couldn't agree more. And what you're describing is really encouraging for me that this is happening. And it kind of also brings me back to because I when when I was, you know, entering the world of blockchain, I had some ideas about how things are gonna pan out. For example, I had some doubts about some really centralized type of, you know, uh, platforms, or I had some ideas about how things are going to pan out. And when kind of the bear market hits, you kind of see that, okay, all that noise, all that things are going to go away. Basically, all the clouds are going to disappear. And then the truth will always show itself. But I'm also trying to question this. Maybe that's how the world operates. But all the things we kind of talked about right now, you know, the um, the downturn, like the war in the Ukraine, like all these things are bad. So are they the only force in the world that would kind of make the kind of the reset button? Or can we actively try to not go to the problems or things that are going to be like a bubble or it's not? So I, I don't want to always kind of go back to reality or the right things when there is a war in the world. Or for example, there is a, I don't know, something like yeah. hope or something. So it's a bit depressing, but I hope that's not the only solution for this problem yeah i think that's right and actually i would highlight another really amazing company that's uh i guess you know another blockchain enabled supply chain solution called stotveg and they they basically are operating they're using blockchain infrastructure to incentivize and track um child inoculations across india and it's amazing what that's able to do for the government to inform policy to actually know like okay hmm if, we, if we're trying to figure out how many how many folks have actually been inoculated against A, B, and C, or how many school children, like what should the policy response be to an outbreak of, you know, fill in the blank, some communicable disease that's that you can inoculate against, and and like that that's actually starting to be known now. Or or even um, I was recently introduced, and I, I kind of want to find these founders, but uh, to another concept called I think it's grassroots economics. Yeah, grassroots economics. That's right, and. Uh, they basically are using blockchain and this is actually i would say this is an awesome use of cryptocurrency but um to create these like community inclusion currencies where you know certain especially kind of war-torn um areas in different countries in africa that where literally they don't have paper currency or, or it's, there's a shortage or it's you know actively being manipulated um by a bad actor that's that's in power these these community inclusion currencies basically create a stable medium of exchange and it's tied to local development and they're only use, usable within the given community. So there's no ability to engage in any sort of arbitrage or say, oh yes, I'm gonna go buy up these tokens and try to inflate the value and liquidate them in the DeFi market, like none of that. So like those are just you know two examples. I could give you so many, but um, of amazing innovative concepts that are being built, you know, leveraging blockchain to actually solve real problems. And I think we're just we're gonna see more and more of that. And I know um, you know, Aiden is more familiar with this than I am, but uh, one example that we love to raise is, is IBM. IBM has an amazing blockchain platform uh, specifically for, for supply chain applications, but for provenance of goods and seeing what they're able to do and the way they're able to empower their clients um, to really just reduce a lot of the redundant manual load 
and to see everything in one place, I mean, especially for supply chain, I mean, the implications are just are just huge in the savings and the error reduction um, and, the, and the waste reduction sort of across the board when you have, you know, buyers and sellers and goods are moving around. That's really hard to track, especially when you have things that are being sourced like wine or like coffee, you know, from a farm. And it takes a lot of steps to sort of convert it from raw material to finished good. Well, with provenance of goods, you can actually kind of see every step in the process and make sure that your coffee didn't come from a farm that's using child labor, for example. Um, or that, you know, basically just gives you visibility into the end-to-end -end value chain. And so I, I just, as more enterprises start to see the value of blockchain and not just think, oh, crypto, like this means <laughs> a Ponzi scheme. Um, yeah, I think the types of, of jobs that we're going to see are going to change. I think the types mm -hmm. of innovations we're going to see are going to change. Uh, Aiden, I don't know if you'd add anything to that, but I think I just always yeah. think about IBM and what they're doing. I, yeah, I love IBM. I'm currently drinking from my IBM mug right now. Um, <laughs> I love what they do. And, and, and to Lacey's point, one, amazing examples that you brought up. Um, we, can, we can look at IBM because they have been attempting to get other people on board to emerging tech since the dawn of their existence. Um, and that company, for, for all their faults, uh have continued these to to carry these values of all right well we've got something that we think can solve the problem if the technology is not there yet we're going to build it and we're going to figure out how to get the technology there i mean ibm food trust is an amazing example of just continually innovating until you're fixing a solution or uh, you've created a solution excuse me um and one of the things i want to bring up as well um as lacy and i started doing research around the, the problem statement, right? And, and that in itself has been tricky, finding data-driven research behind uh, why, why, why there isn't a data-driven approach in humanitarian aid has been difficult. Um, but one of the trends we're seeing generally, and the UN has brought this up in a lot of their recent literature, uh, is that the average humanitarian aid crisis is protracted now in its needs. So. Uh, the average crisis now lasts nine years. In 2014, it was around five years. And we're seeing this trend because of a lot of reasons. We're looking at this uh, in terms of just inflation, the cost of goods, uh, climate change is, is a big kind of perpetrator of, of causing these things, um, a lack of economic resiliency. Uh, there are a lot of factors, but when Lacey and I started conceptualizing tech aid, one of our major concerns was, well, is the tech ready? We've realized that this problem isn't going away. This problem's only going mm -hmm. to get, uh, it's, it's going to continue. So, so we're kind of on this mission where we don't really care how long it takes. It's, it's more so about making sure that we help. And, and build a solution that's structured for long-term, sustainable uh, growth in the sector, um, rather than just, okay, well, this will fix this problem now, and then we'll come up with something later. Yeah, that's a great point, Aiden. And one quick add-on to that that I would flag, that I think it's a lot of folks assume that we are a nonprofit. We're not. We are incorporated as a, uh, I mean, basically a public benefit corporation. So a C-Corp with additional, you know, we're holding ourselves to a higher standard of, hey, we're going to do some social good. Here's what it is. But the, the idea here is to is to build and deploy a solution that's actually sustainable. 
and it has the reporting and metrics and transparency that you would expect of any. I mean, I've drawing from my own experience. I've, I've only I worked for Wells Fargo, Starbucks, and Amazon. And that's it in my sort of professional career for you know 15 years. And so to me, like that's the standard of 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 reporting and transparency that should be required of you know an enterprise that's purporting to do something on a large scale. And the way that you really sort of enforce that is by saying, hey, we're going to kind of opt in um, to a structure where a we're set up to take capital. Um, which is super cool because we also just recently we just got accepted into the new chip accelerator. So we're starting that this week. Um, and actually the feedback from the gal that was, you know, kind of heard our pitch was, wow, this really, you would think something like this exists already. And we're like, we know. <laughs> so so that's super exciting. But yeah, we're A, we're set up to take capital for a reason. And B, it doesn't, and it, we've heard this now from a couple of different places, it doesn't help anyone to set up and deploy a solution with a huge backend that's gonna basically work for maybe four or five years and then crash because there's no resources to sustain it. Like that doesn't, we don't wanna build something where the users are gonna be forever hat in hand or us like writing grants. No, <laughs> we wanna build something and deploy something where, and, and again, it's definitely gonna be an uphill battle and not easy, but it's I think a challenge well worth solving to say, hey, we can prove that you will save X. <laughs> the cost of this is X minus one, you know, and whatever that looks like. And there's going to be different ways, I think, to to monetize and 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 set this up so that it basically can scale and can self-sustain. Um, but but I think just the, the the way that the entities are designed to to sort of do good in the world also really matters a lot. Um, and you and and this isn't to knock anyone that's starting an NGO. I mean, I think that the work there it's super valuable. It's super needed. But for something like a, like a decade, and we were really kind of sat down and looked at it, and you know, did our, our mission and values, and, and and sort of worked through all, all the initial machinations of like, okay, hey, what is this? What's our mission statement? What are we what are we trying to do? What are our pillars? And how can we how can we build something that's going to be durable, that's going to help as many people as possible, but it's also going to be economically viable? What does that look like? And so we don't have like the exact answer right now, for example, but I can say we've recently been introduced to a partner. Who, and this, I cannot tell you how exciting this was, um, who has already built and already deployed something and it is live and it is very similar to what we were envisioning the end state of what tech aid would be with a couple tweaks, but it's, only, it's sort of self-centered for one region. So we're sort of right now trying to figure out, okay, can we kind of combine our powers and move super fast and figure out how to scale this and, and get this set up so that, you know, with a little money in the door, we can then scale it globally and, and, and really enable like both sets of customers. I mean, the, the two customer sets that we really know are, are key are obviously the beneficiaries and folks that are needing aid and, and are, are basically in a really bad spot and are, are in a place that no one would ever want to be, which is, I literally cannot meet my own needs. <laughs> I, I am basically victim of something, whether it's natural disaster, conflict, whatever. But the other set of customers is all of the NGOs and all of the folks that are trying to do the hard work manually and make their lives easier and eventually, I mean, at Amazon, this was always the goal, like work ourselves out of a job and say, okay, cool, fix that problem. It's all, it's running smoothly. Uh, it's fairly automated. And like, let's move on to the next kind of big hairy problem to solve. Mm -hmm. So like, if, if we can, if we can pull this off, uh, I think the improvements are not just going to be like the, the, the very first level of improvement is, you know, in the actual supply chain kind of nuts and bolts, Hey, reduce waste, increase efficiency and transparency, make sure as many goods make it to people as possible. But then the second layer of improvement, and you know, we're talking to another partner we're going to be running some tests with. They've sort of echoed the same sentiment: is look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like we want to basically 
figure out how to match people with things that they need beyond just their immediate, like, I am hungry, I need shelter, I need diapers, to I need a job, I need access to education. And what does that look like? And if you know that you have big groups of people that are going to have these needs, which, by the way, there was a, there's a book that was published recently called, I think, um, Nomad Century. <laughs> I think it was Nomad Century. And the, the estimates in there were that uh, basically every, every <laughs> land mass north of Patagonia, so you know, way far south in South America in Argentina, and south of London in the UK, all of that land mass is going to be uninhabitable if the global temperature increases more than about three degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial average. And that's where we're headed. And if that happens, that's three and a half billion people that are just going to suddenly need to like move somewhere <laughs> and find homes and jobs and resources. And like, that's not tomorrow, but like, that's the out, that's the out data point that we sort of keep in mind of like, okay, <laughs> what is built here obviously needs to solve the immediate problem. And we need to prove that it's scalable and it works. But if we can do that, then it's like, how do you connect them to the bigger picture and say, okay, depending on where people are, are they going to be able to say, here's where I am and here's what I'm looking for and connect that to, you know, kind of the next next layer up the value chain and, and really enable folks to find the things that they need beyond just like, well, go to the town sort of center and wait in line and fill out a piece of paper and, you know, get, get another packet of paper in, in the mail if you even have an address and go through this very kind of bureaucratic manual process to do a lot of things. So, Obviously, we have we have big ambitions, but but the the state of the the state of the world, the state of the climate, uh, the state of the economy, you know, these are sort of the driving forces behind behind what we're what we're building. And so, we want to kind of keep in our I guess our if we have a five year plan, which we you know we'll need to set one up eventually, but but moving from just directly aid like the the hand to mouth to like really development. I mean, I think that's kind of what's what's on our minds more broadly. Aiden, would you would you agree with that, or would you add anything to that? Oh, absolutely. No, I'm just um, we've got a lot of work to do, um, but like Lacey said, the problem statement's just not going away, and um, we're we're focused on simultaneously what do we need to do next to to keep moving forward, but also uh, you know how do we set up a business model that can allow us to, to grow this at, um, at a, a rate that, that works for everybody, right? Um, I don't, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can imagine waking up every day for both of you should be very motivational because it's kind of a, I don't know, dream come true for, because you always want to build a business and try to help the world, but if you can do both of them at the same time. <laughs> I think that should be just, you know, extra motivation to, I think to Aiden's point, um, the problem doesn't go away. You know, like this problem that you're describing exists today. So somebody should solve it. And yeah. it should be you, hopefully. So it's, uh, it's super motivational. But when we kind of talk about, okay, this is, let's say, you know, a five-year problem, you need to work on it, you need to, you know, go step by step. And I want to kind of dig a bit deeper into this because I think this is the part that, uh, I mean, the ideas are great and you kind of need to have good execution, you should have good network, you should have a bunch of resources. And as you mentioned, I think it makes total sense that, you know, this, this business needs to make money, it needs to kind of sustain itself, all those things are true. But I think one aspect uh, that a lot of founders 
struggle with, including myself also when I'm kind of starting a company or want to think about it, is this idea is promising and I have deep knowledge about it and I know that there should be a solution for it. It's just about going from that to a sequence of actions that would kind of turn it into, let's say, you know, a company that has this amount of revenue, this amount of traction. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right now running a pilot program. For example, someone wants to build this. Should I go create the whole platform? Should I onboard? Or should it be like, you know, one by one and by one? So I'm really curious to hear about what was your process about validating this idea and only building the things that, you know, can take you basically to the next step. I'm really curious to kind of dig deeper into this aspect. Yeah, Ooh, absolutely. Um, and I'll just quickly make a comment that was... I think really directly informed by my my last experience at Amazon, which was you know me and one other person building a new team from scratch. So kind of a you know startup within like this huge company, but it uh, we sort of would hold ourselves to thirty and like ninety day sprints of just like okay, what are the next right things to figure out, and how can we do those with no resources essentially. <laughs> so the process of validating it really first and foremost was with free and low or no code tools. So basically, hey, if this existed, let me show you a you know basically clickable prototype that doesn't it didn't require you know an expensive hire to build. Would you use it? Yes, no. And doing even just really informal research of, from the the donor side and engagement side of like, hey, if you could actually see and track where your money was going, how much more would you be willing to donate? Um, and, and and sort of gathering results from from both sides, and then really it's exactly what you said, Kostra. It's the it's the one by one. And it's and it's doing doing that in, very intentionally with the right partners to have some benchmarking available <laughs> to say okay, you know now we have a data at least a data point that says efficiency improved by X. Okay, great, and then move on to the next, and then basically run the same sort of tests and and see if those results hold water because we're you know with a small team you can only do so much at once. I'm not an advocate of working you know 80 hours a week or something like that. It's about working so much about working with the right folks and and developing mm-hmm. relationships and sort of developing trust and saying, hey, and getting buy-in, by the way, of like, hey, you know, if you could inform the build of this, like what things about it would you change? And guess what? You've suddenly converted someone that might have been a beta user to a huge fan because they say, hey, wow, <laughs> like this actually works. And I helped, you know, I informed like this feature on it. And so it's super critical to with as little resources as possible. And this was sort of required at Amazon. You couldn't, you couldn't even hire a quote unquote two pizza team, <laughs> unquote, or basically, you know, like six or eight people. You could comfortably feed lunch with two pizzas. You can't even hire that until you've sort of proved out the use case for whatever it is you want to do. Like that's the standard. And so like we're kind of using that same same standard here and 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 starting with low, low, no code, like have the whole thing sort of documented in an easy to understand way and and understand uh, usage and adoption through there and like what people would change. Um, so we've worked through that with a well, we're currently in process, but with a couple a couple partners and just kind of continuing to to go on and um yeah that's been super informative Aiden would you would you add anything yeah absolutely uh I will say one of the things that I I have learned uh from working with Lacey uh is the the power of networking and and, and communicating uh Lacey is one of the most talented networkers I personally ever met I couldn't even imagine what I, Lacey could you estimate the amount of <laughs> you've spoken to in the last year about this? Hey, man, I'm really good at uh, saying what I don't know and asking questions of smart people. (laughs) (laughs) That's 
I think I think that's that's been a huge blessing is is coming into this with the humility of uh, the fact that we are two individuals who have not been able to experience and, and had the, the privilege to not necessarily experience the problem statement we're attempting to solve, right? And so yeah. one of the things we've we've focused on while proofing out and kind of doing our, our own R&D process for this has been uh, making sure that however we, we build this is led by the conversations uh, that we've had with people who will be using it. Um, and, and kind of to your question, it, it is incredibly daunting to, to look at a startup idea and to think, all right, I know this could work, but there's so much that I need to do to get it even close to that. And, you know, you can get scared and look at all of the 90 steps that you need to do. Um, and so one of the things we focused on is, is doing the easy things first, right? Starting with the simple, small things, um, you know, before we can build enterprise grade software, we need to build out a mock-up. We need to build out a responsive front end, uh, just starting with the things that, that make sense to us that allow us to kind of take these ideas and, and knowledge from all the amazing people that we've talked to over the last year and integrate that into our product design from the start. Um, and also we have fun. I don't know. It, I've worked on other startups and I've felt like the world was collapsing around me constantly. Like the world is on fire and time is moving way faster all of a sudden. And with TechAid, because the problem is, is so pertinent to so many people around the world, we've realized we've been able to, to take our time and to slowly and continuously develop improvement. Um, and I think those are, those are, key tenets of how we're building this but if i would share with any other founders it would be to take your time that there is no there's no rush to be perfect it's much better to take each day and make whatever you have slightly better and see where that leads you yeah that's so good Aiden. i think i think one thing i would add to that too is um Something that I do, I don't know if this is helpful for other folks or other founders, but I, I literally keep a, an actual like paper pen to-do list. And I have I before I start my day, I am only allowed to write down three things and I have to prioritize them, one, two, three. And I'm not allowed to work on two until I've finished one. I'm not allowed to work on three until I've finished two. And if I like finish those things and have extra time, then it's like, wow, then that almost <laughs> never happens. Um, but I'm one human and I'm also a mom. I have a you know two and a half year old, and that's been Kind of becoming a parent has been very informative for me in terms of priorities and i have pretty pretty firm boundaries of like okay this is how much it, good time is going to go into a worthwhile set of activities and if i'm you know with the team we're able to identify like what are the most important next steps or specifically in a lot of folks you know i think gary keller's the one thing is really helpful on this front it's like no 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 you don't get multiple what is the one thing that's gonna enable you to move your business forward, do that thing. So like having laser focus on like what the right next step is, but then also to Aiden's point, there's, if you, if you I mean, if you rush things, and I, again, I, this was kind of the flip side of seeing things were built super quickly at Amazon. Um, and there and there, there can be merit to this, but in, in our sort of realm here, there's kind of no appetite for, oh, oops, we made a big mistake and we're just gonna go, you know, fix it later. Like we've taken an approach of, you know, kind of first, first do no harm 
So we have to be thoughtful. We have to be mindful, but but you don't absolutely want to avoid doing throwaway work or building something really quickly and then being like, oh crap, we didn't actually get enough. We we didn't have a good mechanism for getting customer feedback. So now we need to go back and rebuild something like that. No, I mean, there's obviously a balance to be struck. but, but really, you know, starting from the customer and working backwards, kind of the kind of key principles, if you look up any of kind of Amazon's LPs or the way the company runs. Um, and even actually one of the first things we did was write a, a PRFAQ or a fictitious press release saying, you know, a future dated, featured in the Economist Science and Technology section, uh, wrote, you know, wrote a PR about TechAid and then wrote FAQs and then with one exhibit. And that three page document has been able to speak for us in so many rooms where we say, hey, what feedback do you have on this? Does this make sense to you? Um, do you think this idea has merit? You know, before we even started building any of the other things, like so. So I'd say, you know, one thing I missed in my earlier comments was just having, you know, a walking around paper or some documentation that's easy to read and easy to understand that can communicate your concept. And ha- like, literally, it has to be one page. No one wants to read your like sixty-page thesis. No offense to anyone that's written one, or even like we also have a thesis, but I save that for folks that are like, okay, I want to see like what's the tech stack. What's the customer journey? What's the implementation timeline? What's the phased approach? All the things like we have that, but having a very crisp, easy to read, easy to understand document, which by the way was required at Amazon for any new product or service you wanted to launch with like what the thing is and FAQs. Like, what is this in layman's terms? How do you know it will work? What are other examples of blockchain being used for you know social good, so on and so forth? Super helpful. Um, so I would say that's a great thing to do as a very first first step and something that that, that we did and, and, you know, and, and showing some very credible folks that were like, yeah, this makes complete sense. It was like, oh, really? Okay. Okay. It's not just us. Okay, <laughs> great. Let's, you know, then find the next step to take. So you, you don't, you don't ever want to assume that you are your customer <laughs> and that your idea is great by virtue of the fact that it was your idea. Um, and that's something that we also kind of hold near and dear is like, we might be wrong about pretty much all of this, you know, like we're willing to revisit any and all parts as we, as we basically gather more data from our customers. Cause guess what? If, you know, again, our tenants are simplicity, purpose, and improvement. If this isn't simple, it's not driving improvement and it's not sort of meeting the stated purpose, then we've really screwed up. <laughs> we need to kind of go back to the drawing board and refigure things out. So um, having, you know, the kind of strong beliefs loosely held and, and continuing to gather insight and data and feedback from your customers and your partners and being willing to iterate on that and doing it in a way that you can do quickly like that's really the name of the game and that's what we're i don't know that's what we what we kind of try to hold ourselves to is like all right how is this a hypothesis or are we sure <laughs> how do we know that we're sure okay if, we, if we're not sure then like let's find someone that's kind of on the ground that can tell us um or is there some research or some piece of data we can look at that says yep uh like i mean some of the research agents i think it was 91% of aid workers have said they wanted automated tooling across, I think it was a sample size of close to 300. <laughs> so we're like, okay, good enough. This is way more than the, the anecdotes, just the folks we've talked to. Like there is an actual, actual empirical data gathered that says from credible sources, like this is a big problem. Cool. We know this, you know, we validated our problem statement. Great. You know, next step. Um, so it, it kind of, you know, it can feel over overwhelming, but I don't think it needs to. Uh, you just got to find what the right next step is and, and take it. I, I cannot stress enough how valuable these insights that both of you shared in the past five minutes is because all the things you were mentioning, like I could feel it to my bones, like all these kind of important steps that uh, as a founder or as an early stage startup, you need to think about these things. 
and by the way, Lacey, I'm going to definitely carry a pen and paper from now on because I have been doing it. <laughs> and I think writing it would just make a ton of difference. Because yes, because then you get to cross it off and you're like, oh my gosh. And then you can see you don't have to download anything or load. You're just like, wow, I did that. Boom. <laughs> Done. Yeah, totally. And also, I think the, the concept that you mentioned, like, I mean, I think as a startup, uh, I mean, uh, as lame as it might sound, but I think what we did back in, you know, elementary school, like, what is your hypothesis? How about our, I mean, that's the same yes. thing. You have a hypothesis and you should go and try to kind of validate it. And obviously there are nuances. So for example, I can relate it to our own experience of building, let's say, a developer tooling platform on blockchain. And so for example, we have a hypothesis that, you know, there is a problem, right? And we kind of trust that hypothesis, but it's about course correcting at least in the micro level. So the macro level, we imagine this is something, and as you mentioned, you go and ask some relevant people, okay, does this even make sense? And yep. if you say like nine people out of 10 say it doesn't, then don't waste your time. But if it is, it comes to micro decisions. And I would say that's where the gold mine is. For example, some, the bigger idea makes sense, but today you need to start it, for example, from this angle. And for example, for tech aid, it could be, you know, it, it can be like, you know, an end-to-end integration problem that solves all these great things in the five years. What, yep. what do you do today? So you need to kind of be on the field. You need to ask these people. You need to and kind of add your own gut feeling and knowledge and experience. It's an art because it's not only, let's say, a formula that you input these things and it will give you an answer. So I would say there's definitely a bit of art in here, but that's how it is. And I think that's a really good playbook for people to have a hypothesis, try to validate that, and then take some steps as also Lacey mentioned, like write them down. What are, what are the most important things today that if I don't do them, things do not move? Because there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of things that are unnecessary. But for example, for my own, let's say, day-to-day task, maybe on top of it is I need to go talk to some customers instead of going and building something from my own head. 100%. 100%. Yeah, because you only have so much time. And and by the way, like, it's like especially if you're founding something early stage, you know, if you're lucky like me and you have an awesome co-founder like Aiden, it, one, it is fun. And two, just kind of the energy we definitely feed off each other that mm-hmm. we sort of bring. But it's like, okay, well, <clears throat> there's two of us and, you know, and our third co-founder is an advisor. But th- that's the perspective of three people. Like we need to constantly be sort of scanning and, and standing up scalable mechanisms to get customer feedback to inform our perspective. Because guess what? We might be wrong. Aiden and I both live in Seattle. We're both women. We both, you know, are college educated, whatever. Like we have, you know, quite a few things that that sort of have informed our worldview and our perspective that might lead us into the same kind of blind spots or traps or assumptions that we don't even know that we have. Um, and so being, I would say being ruthlessly critical, of, not critical, but like ruthlessly reevaluating your own stances or your own hypotheses mm-hmm. and kind of what you're doing and why, man, that's important. And so many people don't do it because they get, they sort of get their proof of concept and they're like, cool. And then they, they super, they super focus on what they're 100% sure is the right way and stop listening to customer feedback and then find yourself like, oh, wait a minute, this only works for 10 people, not 10 million. And now I'm out of money. Like you just can't do that. Um, so that would, if I could like inf- really like enforce just sort of a kind of closing thing to keep in mind is, is really constantly be inspecting your own your own work and 
again, not to, you know, continue to mention Amazon, but um, the leadership principles really informed my sort of view of work. And I was a bar raiser and we interviewed against them. And the, the leadership principle that's called our right a lot <laughs> was often misinterpreted as like, oh, that's just someone that's really smart and is, is, is correct a lot of the time. And it was like, no, this person constantly seeks viewpoints that disconfirm their position. So if you're not doing that, you are doing something wrong. <laughs> like if you aren't actively looking to disconfirm your own beliefs, obviously from credible sources, not like, oh, hey, I picked up People magazine and it said this, like, no. But if you're not if you're not actively doing that, you're almost guaranteed to miss something and it might be really expensive and really damaging. So, so make sure to do that all the time. I mean, it's just, I, I can't stress enough how important it is. And just to take a humble approach, no one knows everything. Technology changes insanely fast. I mean, Moore's Law is gonna be whatever, you know, probably 4X that soon, or if it isn't already. So just, you know, look around, ask for feedback, be humble. <laughs> like these things that just, and, and you're going to find just pure gold all the time. Cause people will be like, Oh, it's a great question. Actually. Like I would do A, B and C. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I was completely wrong about that. I'm really glad I asked, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's, you know, I would say reinspecting your work and your assumptions and your hypotheses all the time. That's never a bad use of time. You're always going to learn something. I think one thing that shows for both of you, and I, I was really inspired by it today is, you know, um, it's, it's really easy to not be humble if you have, for example, Lacey's background, you know, like 15 years in all those companies. Mm -hmm. like, it's really easy to shut down, you know, but I think Lacey is exactly the opposite of that. You know, it's just be open to new things because even someone who, um, as, as you mentioned, might have, have a different route in life or might have knowledge that I don't know. So it's, it's really important to be humble. I think I cannot stress it enough that it's really important to put your ego aside in for a lot of things. Um, and you get inspired in so many interesting ways that probably is going to change your life or even your business in some amazing ways. Um, absolutely. Yes, could not agree more. Amazing, amazing. Um, I think this episode was super educational for myself. I have learned a lot of things mm -hmm. today. Maybe to kind of try to close off things, what is upcoming for Tech Aid, let's say, in the next six months? And what are you excited to work on uh, for future? Aiden, do you want to take this one? I feel like I've just been doing a lot oh. of <laughs> grandstanding yeah, on my soapbox. I need to get off of it. <laughs> no, I was enjoying it. I'm sitting here just listening and learning, too. <laughs> Yeah, for the next six months, uh, our goal is to, to find the, the right beta partner. And we've we've been kind of interacting with a few larger and smaller NGOs that we're really excited about. Um, once we've got the right beta partner, it's 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 a race to implement. So we're really excited um, to get our first prototype out the door. And and we're very excited to learn all of the things that we did wrong and, and, and be excited to, <laughs> True. to fix them. Uh, so the next six months are going to be uh, well, probably an, an editing stage is what I like to call it. Um, but, uh, but we're excited to move forward. Um, and hopefully in, hopefully in five years, we have a fully fledged product with an amazing customer base and, and we're, we're proud of what we've done. Yeah, I love that. I would just add that uh, it's funny you asked about the next six months because I think the new ship accelerator runs, I think it is a six month timeline, but mm -hmm. um, exactly. Yeah. So we'll be doing like Aiden said, a lot of, a lot of editing and course correcting 
Um, and also just to focus on, on raising capital and finding the right capital partners for us. Because one thing that I've, well, that I know, and, and just from my years as a, as a lender, as a banker, is that your, your capital partner is not just a source of funds. You really should view them as a business partner. So for, for Aiden and myself, who we Absolutely. raise money from matters a lot. And, and, and the motivation and the kind of intent and the expected outcome, um, like we, we don't want to, you know, sh sure, having liquidity is nice, but uh, we, we really are, are looking for true partners um, that believe in the mission and sort of get, you know, get what we're doing. And if, if, if we can kind of put the right group together and, and we've already started and have actually made great progress on an advisory board as well. But, uh, you know, having those two pieces, advisory and then capital partners in the door, plus, you know, obviously the, the deployment, like Aiden said, like those are the next those are the next steps um and there's going to be a lot of days i think where i'm like oh my gosh i can only pick three things ah but then it will force me to pick the three and not worry about the rest because i'm one human um but I, I think those are the things and um yeah i think we're, we're super excited because this again originated as a conversation last may and so looking back from last i guess whatever it was may 25th or something i don't know what the date was but from then till now it's like oh my gosh all right, we're kind of cooking with gas. And and actually even just having, before we even had a website, I just had a little page on LinkedIn and I actually was getting inbound interest from folks that are like, hey, are you hiring? And I'm like, not yet, but let me keep your resume because you have great experience in supply chain or whatever it is. Um, and, and and getting sort of inbound validation. It's just, it's been, it's been really encouraging. And, and like you said, Costa, it's super motivating. Like there's a there's a quote from from Gandhi that like I wrote it in the front of my journal and I look at it every morning and it's basically the premise is today I'm fortunate to have woken up. I have a precious human life. I'm not going to waste it. Like I'm going to use all of my like time and energies to basically put my heart out to others and, and basically do as much good as I can. And that some days like that really helps sort of center me when I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a million things to do. And like this got messed up and like this didn't go the way I thought it would. It's like, well, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about me and Aiden, you know, like we're here to try to, you know, do as, as much good work as we can. But at the end of the day, like we aren't the, <laughs> the saying I like to use is we aren't the song. We're just the radio. So if we can if we can build something and put something out there that enables a lot of good to be done and, and, and empowers a lot of folks and enables them to kind of take the next step and empower more folks and, uh, you know, really thrive. I mean, that's the that's the end game. And it's really you know, I feel super privileged to even have a chance to to work on something like this, to, to be honest with you. Um, and it's not, I'm not someone that ever thought they would be, a, you know, an entrepreneur leading a venture because I just didn't think I had really any good ideas worth pursuing. But it's like, well, this one sort of fell, fell in the lap as it, as the saying goes. And uh, yeah, we're, we're really excited about all the progress we've made and, and what's to come. I think 2023 is going to be, it's going to be a big year and we've got a lot, a lot of, a lot of things on our plates. So Thank you for for taking the time to chat with us. It was really fun to to catch up with you again, Kostra, and um, love would love to catch up too about how things are going with Flair, um, you know, offline or, or whenever uh, whenever you've got a chance or if there's anything we can do to sort of help further uh, what what you and your co-founder are up to. Yeah, I love that. Also, I wanted to kind of get back to your point that I mean, you should be proud of you know what we're doing. As, as builders are people who just want to solve a problem. And it's, it's easy to forget that, but at the end of the day, you kind of look back and say, hey, I'm pretty lucky actually that I have a roof over my head and I can 
think about this problem and you know if things go really well i can do that and also you know make some money let's say or i don't know make some good friends make some network it's just all upside in my head so it's really important to center yourself around that idea and i always have this mindset that every day when i wake up is day one it's day one for flair is day one for tech aid like every day you wake up you just mm. your best and hope for the best and do your best to make something great so i, I love that thank you so yes. much for you for joining us hopefully in one year we can have you we can hear about all the amazing ngos and partners and all the customers you have onboarded to the next mm -hmm. step it will be amazing awesome thank you yeah, so thank much thank you so much thank you so much see you guys in the next one bye-bye